0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
1: That's what the poster said.
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because
1: I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sign up at MyBookie and use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. gators breakdown because there's never a dull moment in gator nation the gators breakdown podcast is ready to go i'm your host david waters and you can find me on twitter at GatorDave underscore sec join me as he does every monday evening during the season here as will miles you can find him at his site read and reaction.com and on youtube every reaction and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC, Will Gators three one now with the victory over Tennessee. Um, I called it clunky. You called it inconsistent. I think we're both right there. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, your quick thoughts there on the Gators' thirty-eight to fourteen victory over the Vols.
0: I mean, I thought they played a great second half. I think you know, obviously, you beat a team twenty-one nothing and a half, and it's impressive. But obviously, up seventeen fourteen at that at the at halftime, the fumble by Copeland. Um, sort of a bunch of mistakes a lot of things on the defensive side of the ball the screen pass that they diagnosed but then couldn't make the tackle the deep throw Tennessee hit that turns into a touchdown where a defensive back wasn't within like 15 yards of the guy run downfield there were a few other opportunities like that where where Hendon Hooker just couldn't hit guys who were open um, and were sort of running free downfield and so you know it's one of those things where I think you take a lot of good out of it but I think you take a lot of things that you say we can improve and the question is always not are we at a and in fact I'm not even sure you want to be peaking right at this moment. The question is, are you moving at a fast enough pace to be able to peak when you need to against now Kentucky, who's a better team than than Tennessee, clearly based on what the Florida coaches think, at least. And then when you get to LSU and Georgia and 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 all those games, are you peaking at the right time? Or are you going to be able to put these things together without shooting yourself in the foot? Or are those sorts of mistakes going to be sort of the hallmark of the team? We saw, you know, after the Alabama game, Dan Mullen said we made too many mistakes to win. A lot of those same mistakes showed up, especially in the first half against Tennessee. And so um, I I think you can be happy with a 24-point win in the SEC, obviously. I think you should be happy. I think you can say we've come a long way from the days when we had Jim McElwain and, and Doug Nussmeier running the offense in terms of just what they're able to do. At the same time, I think we can say that there are things that need to improve, and, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball, things that need to improve. And, and unless we see those things change, um, there are going to be some rough games coming up in the future. And that's the thing, right, is that you look at this game and say, it was plenty to take care of Tennessee. The, the thing we're looking at is that 10-3 and three is no longer the standard. We've done that now for a couple of years in a row um you know 10 and 3 11 and 2 and 8 and 4 you know florida fans want more than that and so it's going to require fixing all these little things that sort of piece themselves together to either stop an offensive drive or allow a big play on defense like all those things need to be tightened up because we know what's coming on later down the road
1: absolutely take good take bad now we'll see where the gators go from here with kentucky up so well yeah we got plenty to get into here uh, injury updates there from Dan Mullen on his Monday press conference. Uh, Gators going on the road for their first true road environment, first SEC road game as well. Had that game in Tampa, but we all know that wasn't really a uh, true road get, road test there for the Gators. Uh, we'll get into some, um, you know, question. You know, what should Mullen do with Emory and AR uh, moving forward now? It looks like AR is going to be uh, available to play there for the Gators. Uh, some more defensive talk, too, and, of course, uh, at, the, at the end of the episode, uh it is a little football related cuz it does uh go to the headman himself Scott Strickland athletic director but we'll uh, talk our uh, thoughts there about the uh Cam Newbauer situation there uh, how it affects the athletic department and of course that does affect Florida uh, in some in some ways there and uh, Scott Strickland and his announcement or his uh statement uh released today on that situation here at the end of the episode all right well let's get to it man injuries here we go. Dan Mullen updates. Uh, there were pl- plenty of names. Uh, he would. He didn't even have to be asked about this. He comes out very pretty much of uh, his opening statement, mentions some injuries here. So uh, uh, let's start on offense. Go back to last week a little bit. Dan Mullen says they were being precautionary, being cautious here uh, in regards to Anthony Richardson last week, but he was cleared, uh, you know, to play in that game uh we'll get into more to it more into that you know coming up just a bit when we uh, talk quarterbacks a bit uh but ar you know, cleared you know does that mean 100% probably not it's a hamstring injury it's a nagging injury It won't truly be 100% there till some rest gets into play uh but you know now it does seem like uh the said saturday night to start today on monday this practice that they pretty much just got done with he'd be 100% uh participating in that practice so we'll get into that talk just a little bit more too but will the guys in front of them a lot of questions there about the uh the injury status of some offensive linemen um Stuart Reese did not play versus Tennessee uh they said he was cleared but they wanted to you know put Josh Braun out there and uh, hey I like that move go get Braun some more experience go let him get some of these reps Probably couldn't even tell all much of a drop-off all that much with, with Braun out there. Uh, Florida finding that sixth offensive lineman there, and Josh Braun being able to move him along the offensive line. Played pretty well versus Tennessee. Uh, they did say Stuart Reese would be back this week. Gene DeLance gets banged up versus Tennessee. I saw him standing on the sideline, you know, oh, the, the whole game after he gets injured. Didn't seem too serious. Mullen did say he's ready to go this week as well. And the same for center, Kingsley, Iguacan, Played center, went down a couple times uh, there versus Tennessee. Mullen made it sound like he'd be good to go as well. Said he could have come back in if that second injury didn't take place at the end of the game versus Tennessee. Uh, He could have come back in and played and finished the game if need be. Uh, But time was running out. Didn't really – you know. Tennessee had the ball last anyway. So, well, there we go. Some good news along the offensive line there. We'll get into the quarterback play, but – we know this offense predicated on this run game, and that all is set up by these offensive linemen. And, look, when those guys went down, didn't play, either they either – you know, reasons didn't play or you had some guys go down during the game. Um, found out Florida may have a little more depth there than we had than originally we thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think having those guys go out and getting experience for for the additional guys, Tarquin and and Braun coming in, I think is a big deal. At the same time, I don't think Tennessee at that point, I think they were pretty beat up and sort of the game was in hand by the time you had most of those backups in there. Um, the other thing is, is I think Emory Jones, especially the way he's run the ball the last couple of weeks has really, it really helps an offensive line, right? I mean, we talked about this all during the offseason. These guys were going to, that run blocking is much more fun for an offensive lineman than pass blocking. I think these guys are much more equipped to be run blockers than they are pass blockers. And so, um, you know, having a mobile quarterback, making the defensive ends have to maintain their rush lanes, not being able to fire around the edge and sort of speed rush, I think plays right into the hands of an offensive lineman who, Maybe physically limited or experience limited, but still still is going out there. The other thing is, though, I I know Mullen says all these guys are going to be ready, but the way he treats injuries, (laughs) I'm not believing it until I see them all on the field. I mean, he's been saying Anthony Richards is going to play.
1: You saw my Thunder after this play. I was going to finish that win, so there we go.
0: Well, I mean, he's been been saying Anthony Richards is going to play for two straight weeks, and we haven't seen him yet. So that's the other one you mentioned, and uh, I know we'll get to him. But until I see him on the field, and like even the the backflip isn't enough to – to tell us mm-hmm. that he's going to be able to come out there and play. So until I see him out there in the field for the third drive, I'm, I'm just going to sort of basically assume it's going to be Emory Jones until until I'm proven otherwise.
1: Yeah, there. So, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I did see, like what we saw from Tarquin and Braun along the way. Uh, uh, R- Richard Leonard there playing center uh, at times too when Equicon uh, goes down. Uh, you know, Florida's now at the point now where you can – at least eight guys getting experience there in SEC play um, for uh, up along the offensive line. So a group that, Will, you and I were just a little higher on than everybody else because of, as you mentioned, uh, just a style of play uh, that was going to lend itself to those guys just being better. And now they just come out there one more time, just uh, a force to be reckoned reckon with. Maybe started a little slower. I think that maybe started to some maybe – what could be called conservative play, calling? what uh, I think that's a lot of people wanted to define it early on. I uh, just think, you know, with the way Florida had been running the ball versus Alabama, I wanted to probably try and come in and establish that way versus Tennessee as well. Didn't happen initially, but, of course, Florida eventually uh, gets the run game going. A lot of chunk yardage, Will. I mean, uh, you're still, still maybe waiting for that home run threat at the running back position. But as far as, you know, these offensive linemen coming in, uh, helping – these running backs at least get to the second level, third level uh, a good bit. I mean, you're seeing a lot of chunk plays. You may, you know, a lot of doubles and a lot of triples, but uh, that home run still not ne- not necessarily consistent there from the running back position anyway. But I mean, I uh, look, I can't complain. I've been wanting those explosive runs anyway. But you know, for Florida, just piling those things up.
0: Well, and they even converted when they got in the red zone this time, so they were yeah. able to put up the 38 points as opposed to sort of limping around right around the 30 mark, which is where they've been, right? I mean, they had some red zone issues against against Alabama. They definitely had some red zone issues against FAU and USF, and so to see them sort of start to tightening that up, I think is a good sign. I think part of it is, is they just said, to heck with it. We're going to let all of our we're going to let our running backs run, and then we're going to fake off of that, make them pretty easy throws. That throw out to Malik Davis, where they sort of picked the linebacker, and he was wide open. Was pretty. Um, the play where they sort of faked the run and then hit Jacob Copeland, where he fumbled, was pretty as well. Um, it wasn't quite the red zone, but it was a fourth down play, short fourth and short, and they had the ability to 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 put those fakes on there. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the reasons I think Florida's offense is going to get off to some relatively slow starts is because when you're a running team, you haven't physically worn down the opposition yet. They're still yeah. firing at the ball. And you know, one of the tasks for the offense is going to be by the time that third quarter comes around and that fourth quarter comes around, you want those guys with their hands on their knees. You want them wheezing and you want them not wanting to get in the hole and and take on that pulling <laughs> that pulling tight end or the pulling guard. And we saw that for Tennessee. I mean, there were some opportunities there in the second half that, you know, we had a couple of guys blow tires out there. Otherwise, we might have gotten some of those big plays, <laughs> Naquan Wright specifically. Um, but I think Damian Pierce had one where he might have hit it pretty big and he tripped. You know, the turf monster got two of them and then finally Wright went for the touchdown on that one. Um, after Emory Jones hit the 20-yard throw to Xavier Henderson, and that one, had it happened in the middle of the field, probably ends up being, you know, a 40- or 50-yard run as well because it wasn't like they were catching him and he was getting the end zone. So, you know, the, the chunk plays are there, I think. It's just a different kind of chunk play. Like, I do not yeah. have a whole lot of confidence in this team to convert a third and twelve. So the minute there's a holding call, you're like, well, done to punt. <laughs> and, and that's different than last year, right? It just feels different because third and 13, third and 14, it was like, hey, Trask has him right where he wants him <laughs> third, third, yeah. third, 14. And we wound up there a lot because oftentimes the back was getting the ball on first down was getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage. You throw an incompletion and you're sitting there at third and 12 and Trask had to bail him out. Emory Jones has not shown the ability to be able to bail them out all that often when it's third and 12. But what he is, is he's an excellent runner, especially his vision is great on third and two, third and three, third and four. There was one specific play that I diagrammed in my article this week, where he was able to sort of squirt between there was a safety and a linebacker coming up only one blocker and he was able to use the blocker to not like the blocker took the inside guy and he was able to sort of dart behind that blocker to get the blocker in front of the safety as well. And he was the way he made the run enabled him to get the first down because he was able to do something that really you would expect to be from expect to see that kind of thing from a running back. And so the threat of Emory Jones is different, you know, third and four, Florida was still throwing it last year, third and four this year. I think you're probably 60, 40 run and you know, about, 90% 90% of the time when they're running the ball in that situation, it's going to be Emory Jones running the ball. So it's a different kind of offense, a different kind of threat. I think that's one of the reasons why they start a little bit slower is just because you haven't had the opportunity to sort of tire out the defense yet though. You know, it was seven, nothing before Tennessee, you know, Tennessee sure. went three and out all of a sudden seven, nothing. And, and, uh, you know, so Florida, you can't really blame Florida's offense for getting off to a slow start. You can, you can blame them for sort of slogging down from there, right? Not really yeah. playing very well for the rest of the first quarter and then into the second quarter. But, uh, but at least as far as a fast start, they were able to get off the get off the Schneid early this week.
1: And we'll go into your point, man. You bring up a good point. If Florida is going to be like this in a run team, and it might take a second to get into that groove. I mean, like you said, they got into it in the first you know, on the first drive, and it's to kind of stall it out there. Then you know, in these. Bigger, more important games. It's going to be up to the defense to keep the game close and, and let Florida, uh, you know, continue to work on that ground game. I mean, twenty-one to three wasn't big enough for for Alabama and Florida can you know stuck with the game plan and ran the ball. Uh, but you know, it was twenty-one to three so fast. I, I guess you you still had time to do that going into the second quarter uh, of that game. But you know, going into halftime uh, of some of these bigger games, you know, you, you hope it's within a, at least a score. Uh, there, so you know, you can just keep uh, pounding the rock, pounding the ball, uh, like these Gators do here. So, well, big story coming up here, of course, this week Kentucky game coming up, the first true road environment for this team this year. You had the game in Tampa versus USF week two, that's on the road, but a stadium filled with Gator fans there. So, first true road environment since 2019 for these Gators here, and um. You I know, mean, a lot of the first first one since twenty nineteen. Uh this is uh last year in in the COVID year. You didn't get that true road game experience with a full crowd and full stadiums. And this is the first one the Gators will get. This first one for Emory Jones, the starting quarterback. Uh there. So now will that we get the word uh that Anthony Richardson is back or maybe should be back this week. We'll see, but I think we can start the storyline here. Uh I was asked this on Gators Breakdown Plus last night. I did a you know uh, an episode Ah, uh, there with those guys, and it's just like the question came up. You know, wh- what what should Dan Mullen do with, with Emory Jones? Of course, he's played better these last couple games, and a lot of people are going to make the connection that he didn't have to look over his shoulder because Anthony Richardson wasn't going to play. He knew he know he knew those were his games, uh, and maybe that lifted some of the pressure off. So, you know, what what should Mullen do with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson? Uh, easy decision for me, to play Anthony Richardson. But you know, is there a is there a sit down? Is there a heart to heart where Mullen asking him, "Hey, you know, how comfortable are, are are you with this? All right. Is there an effect? You know, should there be an effect? And, and all that's going to be dependent on what what Emory Jones tells him. And in, in public, he tells us the right things and says, you know, he wants Anthony Richardson out there as well. He helps the offense, but I, I, I do wonder. If that question comes up at all from the head coach to Emery, and you know, maybe does it affect him uh, somewhat, and would he play better if he didn't have to look over his shoulder? My thing would be tough get over it. We got to have Anthony Richardson on the field because he's that explosive of a player. But you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame Dan Mullen. I wouldn't blame Anthony uh, or Emery uh, Emory Jones if they had to have a heart-to-heart sit-down this week to kind of, you know, maybe see what the, the 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 mental aspect of having the backup quarterback. Um, you know, but playing in the game in, in, in certain situations.
0: I mean, I guess I, I think at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have a plan. They're going to end up with Anthony Richardson coming in for the third drive, most likely, and then they'll have him come in for one more drive in the second quarter. And then when things stall in the third quarter, they'll bring him in again, like they have early, you know, early in these in these games this season. I, I think the big thing here is just that you got to play the guys who play the best in practice. And so, if Emory Jones is, or I'm sorry, if Anthony Richardson is showing that he's fully healthy, if he's showing that he's explosive in practice, then that's a guy you got to get on the field. And if that impacts Emory Jones, I man, especially at this point where Emory has had a couple of pretty good games against Alabama and against uh, and, and against Tennessee you know if the if the reason he's had those good games is cuz Anthony Richardson isn't coming in for a drive or two well then i've got some real questions about like how he's going to be able to perform in a true road game when the crowd gets loud and right. you got a bunch of adversity because uh, a backup quarterback who your coach is not going to allow to take your job and that's really what Mullen has done this whole way through right cuz there are plenty of Steve Spurrier would have Anthony Richardson starting already um i'm pretty sure Urban Meyer might <laughs> Have <laughs> Anthony Richardson starting already, but Dan Mullen's been, been, been firmly behind emory jones this entire time and i expect that to i expect that to continue and so yeah no quarterback wants to be lifted and have somebody else take snaps at the same time if it helps you win the game it helps you win the game and uh, if if you've got rabbit ears for that particular thing then then you're going to struggle in the sec struggle with this fan base because this fan base is going to be critical of you whether anthony richardson's behind you or not i mean if we had skylar morhenwig sitting there behind emory jones and, and jones was playing poorly you can bet this fan base would be calling for the backup quarterback in that situation it just so happens we've already seen what this backup quarterback can do at least in limited time and so you look at that and say of course you have to get him on the field he you know you mentioned that there haven't been any of those true explosive explosive plays last two weeks well that's kind of tied into who hasn't (laughs) been playing the last two weeks because all those plays were there in the first two weeks of the season granted um with with inferior opponents compared to the last two weeks but at the same time it's just different when he's on the field right and and you have to get him on there you have to get your best players on the field and and i think that's what mullen will do i think it's pretty clear that even that even in limited packages anthony richardson brings value and if that disrupts the continuity the rhythm of your starting quarterback then so be it all right you you need to be able to deal with that sort of thing in 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 life, in the game, on the road, all those sorts of things. And, you know, I, I, again, I I think Anthony Richardson, even on the road is going to be unflappable. You don't come to Florida and wear the number 15 without Mm -hmm. having a little bit of moxie. So I'm not real worried about his confidence. I'm not real worried that he's going to get intimidated by the environment. In fact, I think he'll probably embrace it. So I expect to see him, but I expect it to be limited the same way it has been the first couple of games of the year when he was healthy. And, uh, you know, it'll be sort of that third drive and, and that sort of stuff. And it'll be a prescribed thing where Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson both know what the plan is. And then, you know, maybe they deviate from the plan if the score dictates it, but if Florida's in control, then the plan will still be to ride Emory Jones as much as they can.
1: Yep. Yeah. There you go. You guys, you stole my thunder again, Will. I was going to compare the, 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 the explosives that I brought up earlier. You you had the doubles and you got the triples, but we haven't seen that big home run uh, with, you know, in, you know, pretty much in the passing game too uh, but especially in the quarterback running game you've had the big runs by emory and, and, and some good runs uh, these last couple of weeks but just something different gear there for anthony richardson so we'll see how much he plays uh saturday now what well i'm gonna bring it up scenario here like could we get to the game saturday and if it is the third drive for anthony richardson and say florida's uh 14 0 because Emory Jones playing so well. Does that change the staff's mind? I mean, I'm like you. You go in with a plan, and if the plan is to get him in on the third drive, no matter what happens, the first couple of drives, you know, I got, to, I think you go ahead and stick with that. But if Florida gets off to a great start with Emory and they decide to hold AR for another week, maybe even until LSU, because you're certainly not going to need him versus Vanderbilt. Um, you know, if he's a full go, I think you get him reps. I think you know you can't replicate game reps, and I think that helps the development of Anthony Richardson at the same time, much like it did Emory Jones uh, these last three years that he's been able to come in, in those same kind of spots. Uh, but I do wonder, you know, if Florida gets off to a great start and they'll be like, well, you know what, let's that that hamstring's been something that's been nagging since the springtime, and we're already up fourteen nothing or in some situation like that. Let's just let, let's hold him off for another week.
0: No, he's going to play. If if he's ready and, he's, and sure. it's in the plan, he's going to play. And, and I think you can even look at Mullen's history and say that he's going to play. I mean, the, just look at the LSU game a couple of years ago. They go two bat and rouge. Kyle Trask is going, you know, play for play with Joe Burrow and all of a sudden you've got Emory Jones in there for a drive and Florida goes three and out. That was really kind of the difference in the game. Florida went three and out. They punt the ball away. They couldn't stop Burrow the entire game. LSU's up by a touchdown and that was sort of the way that second half shifted and the reason they brought Emory Jones in that game is that was part of the plan, right? They did it in the first half too and were able to get away with it, but <clears throat> but at the end of the day, they had a plan to expose Emory Jones to the game, had a specific set of plays for him and had those plays to get him experience on the road, knowing that at some point they were going to have to, you know, that he was going to be the starter and he was going to need that experience. And it turns out, lo and behold, here we are. I'm not worried about Emory Jones being intimidated by the Kentucky crowd. Because he's already fight, been in one of the toughest places to play in the yeah. SEC, and he's been in there in the middle of a game that was highly contested. And did he succeed? Somewhat. I mean, he threw that weird sort of pop-up to Michael Pirine in the corner <laughs> on a fourth down. Um, and then he had a drive that wasn't all that great. He had a drive where they did actually, I think, move the chains a couple of times. And then I think they brought Kyle Trask in again to finish that drive off. But if you think about it, they had packages for Mary Jones. I think there was more than a one-year window that they were looking for in that particular game. And I think the same thing is true here that Anthony Richardson's development is not just about Florida winning in 2021. It's about what position is Florida in to win in 2022 and 2023, which is one of the reasons why if, if Anthony Richardson doesn't play on that third drive, he's not playing in the game because what that means is they've decided that the hamstring is too big a risk. They're not going to bring him in. Emory Jones is playing the whole game, but if he's hundred percent and he's going to play, then, then I think they'll have him out there for the third drive because that's what the plan is, and that's sort of the way Mullen and company have always operated is they don't deviate from that plan. Because of the way the game's going, they they would deviate from it for an injury. But other than that, they're going to stick to the plan make sure people get the experience that they feel like they're going to need for the long-term health of the program.
1: Yeah, and to me it's a little different with Emory too uh, with, compared to what he was doing with Franks and Trask. And to me it was maybe to get him that experience and he just brought something different to the table, but it wasn't necessarily that – he brought the scoring threat and the, the the lethal plays that you've seen from Anthony Richardson so far. I mean, Anthony Richardson can come in and and, and do the thing and, and make the offense better in some regards. Uh, now that this is compared, of course, to Emory Jones' first couple games, and we'll see what the, the last couple games mean in that regard as well. Now you probably have two quarterbacks uh, that can go move the ball and, and score for the Gators, still maybe in some different ways, still maybe a little more explosive uh, with, with AR. But if you need – if you're the guy that if you need the guy to go put a drive together, uh, and you know Emory Jones can get the team in the in the right checks and the right plays, and uh, you go from there. So uh, I do think it's maybe a little different with Ar compared to Emory, just because I just think he brings a little more to the table than what Emory did these for the, these first three years, uh, just in the the explosiveness that he can bring to the table and get the Gators that home run uh, play that I kind of just talking about earlier. So. Yeah, well, we'll see. Emory's confidence, you know, looking over the shoulder. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be much of an issue, much of a thing. I do wonder if the if it does happen, will and say. You brought up the good point, and I and I, brought, and, and I thought about this too this week, and, and talking to a friend at work about this, and it's like, look, yeah, we've seen Emory in Baton Rouge, and that was a game I brought up too. But say he does go to Kentucky. This is first road start. It doesn't look good. A lot of people are going to start trying to connect the dots. Well, see, you know, AR is coming back, and then Emery's not playing good now because he's looking over his shoulder. I was like, well, no, you got to throw another, another you know data point in there of like well he's playing on the road too uh and that, that could be more of an effect uh, there for emery jones i don't think it will be either because we've seen him in that situation but he also got off to a, a slower start than we thought toward, toward the beginning of the season even with some of the experience that he brought to the table uh so this is just one more new for him is starting a true road game here and we'll see how how um he he reacts to that but i i, I do think if there is a little bit of a rough start or a little bit of a rough performance from Emery people will start start trying to connect too many dots there
0: Maybe. I mean, I guess at the end of the day it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, if he plays poorly, he plays poorly, but, uh, irrespective of what the matter, reason yeah. is. And Absolutely. and if the and if the reason is is because they've gone to this quarterback rotation, then I think you just learned that you're not winning the SEC championship game with Emory Jones at quarterback because that kind of adversity you're gonna see more adversity over the course of a season in the SEC than you are a guy sort of breathing down your neck on the on the on the on the bench, right? And and really Richardson isn't breathing down his neck he's just getting little little bits and pieces of the game, which is exactly what Emory Jones got two years ago and last year and and so to have that experience with Kyle Trask where Kyle Trask got to start but you got little spots and and spurts in different areas and then not think that's an acceptable thing for your backup I think is 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 a short-sighted way of seeing things and I don't think that's the way Emery Jones thinks I think if Emery Jones struggles it'll be because he's still learning and because when you look at that first half against Tennessee it was decidedly average he played great in the second half but you know they were also ahead the whole time when he when he, when he was throwing the ball down the field. And granted, comes out, hits the big play to shorter, looked great on a bunch of running plays, much more decisive in the second half, I think, than in the first half. But he's kind of average in the first half. And I think you could say the same thing about the Alabama game. I think in the first quarter he was decidedly below average. And then you go to the second quarter and he started to play a little bit better. And then you go to the third and fourth quarter, I think he was much, much better. But, you know, Florida needs him to put together a complete game. And if yep. you can't put together a complete game, then that's one of the reasons why Anthony Richardson should be in there is that all of a sudden you get more of a complete game from your quarterbacks because you have that threat every two or three drives where you know a dynamic guy's going to come in. And if nothing else, electrify sort of the entire offense and galvanize them around him. And then when Emory comes back in, everything sort of calms down. You go back to running the ball. You go back to hit the other team in the mouth and, and use that to, to wear them down.
1: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with needing two quarterbacks to win right now. I mean, look, I know there's not a whole lot of historical success with it. Doesn't mean it can't be done. Doesn't mean it can't work. And you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, This is the first good good test for both of these guys too on the road. I see how both these guys react uh, at the same time on the road here when the Gators travel to Lexington to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, well, we got plenty more to get into, but before we do, a big week in the NFL as Tom Brady returns to New England for the biggest game of the year, and the stakes have never been higher at my bookie. Look, know it's early in the week, but uh, whether you're backing the Bucks or Pats this Sunday, the game's always more exciting when you've got money on it, and you can do it at my bookie. Get in on the action, take this game to a whole new level at my bookie. Both teams are sporting top defenses. Nobody knows each other than Brady and Belichick. Slow and steady will win the race. Smart money might be on the under, so don't wait around. Join MyBookie now. Bet on the biggest game of the season. Use promo code GATERS and get your first deposit doubled. Again, that's promo code GATERS to get your first deposit doubled. Double your first deposit. They're at MyBookie. Using promo code GATERS, start your winning season today. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, well, one more uh, hot topic here that's kind of come off this game. And I know you highlighted it in your article there at Read Reaction, uh, something that's been discussed here. It's these big plays for the defense, uh that that, that are given up 14 points on big plays for Tennessee, a shutout in the second half the rest of the way. Uh, but the the big question coming out, uh, you know, on, on some of the chats I've done in the last couple of days and in the Twitter, uh Twitter chats out there too, scheme versus players here for Todd Grantham. And um you know, with the big plays that are given up or some of the plays that we saw in, in the slow start versus Alabama where guys were in position and it gets start starts getting weighed, scheme versus players, whose fault is it when you' coaching or the players? you know that's pretty much scheme versus players here. Uh, look, will, you pointed it out pretty pretty well here. We talked about it all offseason with these coaching changes back there in the in the secondary for the Gators. Everybody wanted to see more man coverage and what man coverage could do uh, for these Gator defenders. Well, it ended up hurting Florida a few times versus Tennessee.
0: Yeah, I mean, so the defense has been inconsistent as well. I mean, I think we've seen that with the offense. The difference is the offense ends up sort of kicking it in gear in the second half. I guess the defense sort of did against Tennessee, though I would argue that some of that is because Tennessee is a little bit inferior to, to some of the other opponents Florida's going to see. I don't think we really – I think we saw them kick it up in the second quarter against Alabama. I think in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, they they struggled more than maybe it seemed like because the Florida's offense was, was humming and because they were able to stop him to a field goal when they got down there to the one. I mean, here's the reality. If you look at yards per – Yards per play. They're decidedly average 42nd ranked in the country. They're 74th in yards per pass allowed. So again, not a surprise. The secondary is an issue. Um, if you look at EPA, which is sort of an efficiency metric for expected points added, the defense is right on the average line, sort of sitting there with Nebraska and Michigan, um, in terms of where the in terms of where the offense and the defense is, so if you think about that, Michigan's four and zero, oh, Nebraska not so much, <laughs> and so yeah. Florida's sort of right there with those guys in terms of efficiency metrics. Um, they're average, right? They're not terrible. I mean, last year they were terrible. They were like Florida State bad on defense last year, and they're not that bad this year. But I think there's still holes. And I think the holes match up a little bit with Kentucky in terms of where Kentucky is. So Kentucky's 16th overall in yards per pass. Like I said florida's seventy fourth and so you know is that an area where where Will Levis can take advantage of the Florida secondary? Now you have Kyrie Elam coming back, it sounds like, and so yeah, having Elam good. back is going to make a big difference. You could tell you know that Tennessee could really attack anywhere they wanted to attack because there were young guys all over the field um, that 's not going to happen when you 've got Kyrie Elam out there, so to be able to have Elam out there, have him basically lock down one side of the field and then be able to concentrate guys on the other side, I think will help, but uh, at the end of the day, they just have not been able to consistently get to the quarterback with a blitz, and the, and the secondary hasn't been able to hold up when there's been a blitz. And then the four-man rush has been okay getting to the quarterback, but hasn't been good enough based on the limitations in the secondary. And, and I don't know how to change that. I know we're going to get to some turnovers talk in a, in a little bit, but like, when's the last time you saw a quarterback getting hit while he was sort of on his back foot and the ball sort of floated. I I don't yeah. remember any of those against FAU. I don't really remember any of those against USF. I mean, they've had some sacks, but they haven't really been as disruptive in the backfield. I think as as maybe some of the other Florida teams that we've gotten used to, especially under Grantham. And uh, you know that sort of leaves the secondary exposed, and the secondary clearly is the weakness of this defense.
1: Yeah, as you said, you know the sack numbers are there. Uh, there for they get fourteen, I think, on the season so far in four games. So. Well, we'll we we'll go back and look at our over unders. the gators are on pace to pass pass that once again, probably. But uh, as you said, it's just not consistent uh, there when you look at the, the the sacks and just getting back there consistently. Fourteen's a lot, but um, yeah, it seems like on a, some of those big third down plays. You're still waiting for them to, to show up in that regard um, when um, you know pressuring and sacking the quarterback. You know, and, and that, look, I, I thought that translate or should translate there to some more turnovers. I asked Dan Mullen about the lack of turnovers today. You know, with the sack numbers, and you know, I mean, they're pressing the quarterback. Okay, it's not just you know, it's not great. And you sit there, and or teams are are scared of it. Now, teams are getting rid of the ball fast. I think that's one advantage you've seen. But I mean, teams teams know to do that, and for whatever reason, you know, still the turnovers aren't there. If your coverage isn't tight, uh, that's. It, Had to ask Mullen about it today with that pressure up front. And look, he says the opposing offense has to make some mistakes also. We'll continue to be disruptive and force opponents to play behind the chains. Turnovers will come. Well, I mean, I don't. (laughs) Had four games here. You've been pressuring the quarterback. You've gotten a lot of sacks, and it still hasn't translated uh, there. I mean, when's the last time you've seen a DB actually just break on the ball? I mean I, I can't i can't remember that the last time you know uh, a bad throw or a late throw by a quarterback that gets they 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 had to that they, they get in trouble for uh and you see a db break in front of the receiver and you know take it back for sixty the other way there's just hardly any breaks on the ball uh when you look at this Florida secondary and i know i'm not and you would think with the sack numbers and the and the pressure up front that you'd get a little more turnovers or you'd get the um like you said, a ball that just pops up in the air because of the pressures there. For whatever reason, pressure up front, sacks up front, does not translate to turnovers in the skaters' defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there's a few things there. One, it's not lost on me that Chester Kembro got the big interception against Nebraska this week. Um, so, yeah. former former Florida Gator transfers to Michigan State and salts away the game against Nebraska, jumping in front of basically jumping a route, just like you were talking about. All of a sudden, takes Adrian Martinez's uh, throw, almost turns it into a pick six, which would have ended the game anyway, but it was an overtime. So, Nebraska or so Michigan State ends up putting that game away pretty quick. Um, so, there's that component to it, right? Is that the guys who've left the program. Because they couldn't get playing time, all of a sudden are now out there and playing for big-time power five teams and making big plays. The other thing is, you know, if you if you think about the Tennessee turnover, the turn the turnover that uh, that Jacob Copeland let go, that was gang tackling on a guy yeah. who was trying to get extra yards. And Florida does not seem to. I don't remember them having a ton of gang tackle type opportunities where, you know, the ball's thrown out wide. The DB does a good job of standing the guy up. He doesn't necessarily take him down, but he does a good job of standing him up. The rest of the guys come in and they have three guys there. So there's an opportunity to rip the ball out. They haven't done that either. Right. Most of the time it's either been a missed tackle on the outside, or they've been able to sort of get the guy by the shoelaces and get him down. Um, But you're not going to get people to fumble the ball by getting them around the ankle. The way you get them, the way you get them to drop the ball is you, you stand them up and then all of a sudden you start ripping at the ball. So, you know, all those things sort of, I think, meld together to where the defensive backs are not able to hold as long as you would like in coverage the front four is a strong front four but doesn't have that dynamic guy like Jonathan Gennard who just when you need it is going to be able to get back in there and get a sack we were sort of hoping that would be Brenton Cox hasn't been the case thus far Zach Carter can win one-on-one battles but he's not a guy who if if you chip him or if you bring a double team over there he's not going to just you know that doesn't free up Cox to all of a sudden come and run wild on the other side at least it hasn't yet and then the linebackers you know when they blitz have not been able to get home and that's maybe the thing that's been most disappointing to me is that when you've looked at guys like Jeremiah Moon and, and Diabate, when they've blitzed, it's not as though they've blitzed. They've timed it up great. It's been a straight run to the quarterback, and the quarterback's been panicking before he really even got the snap and had an opportunity to get into his first read. I mean, usually the guy gets stoned, and then all of a sudden we're staring at the ball going right where the blitzer was coming from and it's somebody wide open at the sticks that's sort of been what's happened when they have blitzed so um some of it is not getting home on the blitz some of it is the front four not being quite as dynamic as the front fours have been at least in 2018 and 2019 some of it is that the secondary isn't able to hold on when the when the defensive line isn't able to get there and then um you know i think part of it is luck right and part of it is you got to when there's a catch you got to stand the guy up you got to come up you got to rip the ball and uh and sometimes you just sort of manufacture turnovers you remember was it charles tillman for the bears who would always come up while he was tackling with like punch Mm -hmm. the ball like you don't see any of that right and and um part of that is is that they're tentative when they're tackling i think because they've struggled to tackle there in the secondary and they're just trying to get the guy on the ground they're not they're not going for that extra bit to try to get the turnover um i I do think mullen is a little bit right i think they will come at some point they're going to get some turnovers um the, the question is going to be Are those turnovers going to come against Vanderbilt? Or are they going to come against Georgia? And, you know, I think based on the limitations we've seen thus far in defense, it's much more likely they're going to come against Vanderbilt than Georgia, but Georgia's where you're going to need them.
1: Yeah. And, you you mentioned the fumbles there. Tennessee had trouble with fumbles coming into the Florida game. Florida wasn't able to, <laughs> you know, force, turn, uh, force some fumbles. Kentucky, the same way. They uh, have been struggling with fumbles coming into the game versus Florida. We'll see if that could continue there. Uh, when, and, and I go to the interceptions, and I also understand a little bit. Well, I went back and just looked at uh, uh, Lib Gator, of course, shout out to him, and, and the quick um, game the uh, game highlights he puts together and just watch the Florida defense. I mean, there were a lot of times when you had Avery Helm, Jason Marshall, Rashad Torrance, and Mordecai McDaniel on the field together. No Kyrie, no, no Trey Dean. Those guys are going to have to learn, learn on the fly, learn in SEC reps, learn in SEC play, you know, so some growing pains are expected. Uh, there but you know this is more of a continuation when we talk scheme versus players and whether it be the lack of tackling or or taking the wrong angle or or lack of turnovers you know this is still kind of a continuation from from project anthem's defense and then if the guys are in position well these are guys that you've recruited these are guys that you've developed these are guys that you're putting out there on the field now this time a little forced because of kyle going down with an injury and Jaden hill going down before the season with an injury as well so you're relying on guys that you didn't necessarily want to have to uh, rely on in certain situations. But I think they put those guys out there a little bit to see what they could do together. Uh, Elijah Blades played 28 snaps. I saw Grant, Grantham say that tonight in his press conference. So he's getting back out there as well. So you throw him out there. Yeah, he's got a lot of experience, but not a lot of Gator experience, not a lot of uh, experience in an orange and blue uniform. But I mean, there's times out there where there's a, a lot of young guys out there who you probably didn't expect to play a lot together at some point this year. So that lends itself so far a little bit. Those first couple games of the year. Florida got the starters out of there and you know for I think overall defensive stats I think you probably want to start with the Alabama game and then we'll kind of average them out as the season goes on Um, not a good start for that one of course Uh, but uh, I think that's when you go back and look at the first couple games a lot of young guys there in in the second half of those games and it continue now with Tennessee just because of injuries so you can see why there might be a little more bumps in the road for this defense but A lot of it is still the continuation of issues that we've just seen for a couple years now in the Grantham.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a good tweet going around. I can't remember who posted it today, but it basically showed Florida going back to like 2000 or something like that
1: for its defenses. And it was always like,
0: it was like seventh, eighth, sixth, seventh, seventh. And then the year with Randy Shannon, it was up, you know, 40th or 50th and, you know, staff fired. And then three of the next four years under Grantham, the defense is substandard compared to what that Gator standard is, right? I mean, the Gator standard is a top 10 defense when you go look at the last couple of decades there at Florida. And look, I mean, Grantham just hasn't been able to deliver. And, and I think scheme was the problem against Alabama. I actually thought he did a really nice job of scheming against Tennessee. You could see very early on Tennessee thought about trying to stretch Florida wide and Florida had an answer for it. And Hendon Hooker actually held onto the ball and ran it. I think it was like a loss of two on what looked like a quarterback run but it's because Florida was prepared for those swing passes that killed them against Alabama. Problem is I wish they'd been ready for him against Alabama as opposed to, as opposed to having scouted it and being ready for it against Tennessee. Learning
1: experience. experience.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well guys got 25 years of defensive coordinator experience so he should, he should know what he's doing when it comes to this sort of stuff. And, and, you know, yes, he's got young players out there, but those young, you know, look, I mean, the, the reality is, is like I said, Kembro transferred. They had Marco Wilson who played a ton last year, and and you know, is all of a sudden dynamic again with the Arizona Cardinals, even though he was substandard last year for Florida. And, and you got to start asking yourself, okay, well, from a motivation standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, why is it that these guys who um who struggle or don't get playing time on the Florida defense, go someplace else and all of a sudden look, look fantastic. And uh, you know, I I think there are some reasons for that. I think we all know what those reasons are. Um, But at the end of the day, you're right. I mean, the youth is, is an issue, but the youth is an issue because none of the youth played last year and you know those game and it's kind of an issue because last year they had opportunities to to salt away games against Tennessee and against Kentucky and against Vanderbilt and they didn't they let them sort of hang around they didn't get these guys out there in real SEC play and now they're having to do that this year and get everybody's feet wet you would have liked to have seen those guys out there You know, late in those games last year, you didn't see it as much as you did, as much as you could have. And so, uh, you know, they're having to learn baptism by fire this year. And, you know, sometimes you're going to have a guy staring into the backfield while a wide receiver runs by him and you're going to have a big play get hit. Um, The good news is, is that Mordecai McDaniel is going to learn from that against Tennessee in a 24 point win rather than learning about it against Georgia in a game where, you know, something like that can kill you, right? And so, hopefully, when Georgia stacks receivers, our DBs are going to know what to do next time because they've already seen it. And that's sort of the progression okay. yep. that you're hoping to see throughout the year.
1: Grantham said that tonight as well, uh, that they Tennessee ran the same exact play in the third quarter. Uh Trey Dean was out there, and it was covered. <laughs> and Tennessee did ha- you know, didn't have a play for it or you know, didn't have an answer for it right there. So, uh, he, did, he did, does bring that up. And we've seen that a couple times this year with, with some of the this- – plays that teams would go back to in Florida and be ready for it uh the next time but I also mentioned that it was trading out there so you know, where you go with an inexperienced player uh making a difference there and look maybe this defense is just too complicated for young players and and that's part of it then there's no adaptability for that and which is another issue as well uh but you know we'll, we'll see where it goes there I mean look really, this makes no sense I said this a lot last year you have not head coach, offensive mind that can adapt to pretty much any personnel he has, but the guy on defense doesn't seem to be able to do it at the the same time. So kind of funny polar opposites there.
0: I mean, look, I mean, the defense is average and I think to expect them to be anything more than average is is probably asking too much. They've been, they were bad last year. I think we sort of said they would improve coming into this year, but we didn't know how much. I think we kind of know now going through, going through four games, they have an opportunity to be good when the front four gets pressure. And we saw yep. that against Alabama in the second quarter. You know, the 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 one play that I can remember where Florida really put the quarterback under stress was when Gravon Dexter blew through a double team and then got uh, and then got Bryce Young by the jersey and was yanking on him when Young threw the ball. They get the intentional grounding. All of a sudden, it's second and fourteen. A couple of a couple of passes defended, and all of a sudden, it's a punt. And Florida was sort of off to the races there. Then in the second quarter, being able to being able to spark that comeback, that's really what it's going to come down to. I mean, you know, so we've seen. I think Antonio Valentino. And and Daquan Newkirk have played decently up front. But the reality is, is that the guy who makes things move in the middle of the defense is Gravon Dexter. And, and, you know, he's, I think he's, I said at the beginning of the year and during the off season, that I thought he was going to be the reason Grantham was either, was either a head coach somewhere next year or a defensive analyst at Alabama next year was going to be, you know, the play of Gravon Dexter. He's really started to, 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 push forward but they're going to need to get him out there on more passing downs because I think collapsing the pocket from the inside is going to be critical to getting some of those uh, some of those turnovers you've been asking for
1: you see the picture wheel out there where, uh Gerwan Ger- Dexter shared it today he's getting triple teamed by Tennessee so apparently they know as well as uh, how much of a of a player he can be but there, I mean literally three players right there on, on Dexter so uh, you're pretty funny there Funny somebody
0: game. else has to be unblocked then somebody
1: else somebody better be making a play because uh, so what, what i need to do is go back and find that play and find out what the result of that play was uh that would uh yeah that'd be pr- pretty funny to go back and see there uh with the Talk of defense here, Will, and it was brought up today uh, when Dan Mullen spoke. And uh, Todd Grantham kind of – he furthered this sentiment. um, Didn't really get a chance to listen to everything he had to say uh, before starting here on Gators Breakdown. But uh, Mullen said Kentucky, very different approach in in, in their scheme. Their schematic approach much different uh, with the new offensive coordinator and quarterback, of course, Will Levis to transfer from Penn State. Hey, three big Penn State transfers in this game. Will Antonio Valentino, Justin Shorter, and now Will Levis. So a little bit of a Penn State angle here in this game between Florida and Kentucky. They are a power run team still, but Mullen was saying philosophically, how they do it is different. They complement it, and here we go. Discipline this week is going to be so important for the Gators. Can't have your eyes in the backfield too much like you did last week. They complement it with play action. That's their game right now, play action pass, and Mullen said, you know, to have transfers that have made that, uh, made an immediate impacts there, at quarterback and wide receiver. Uh and that part of it is a challenge. They're a big physical power run team, but they can hurt you over the top if you get too focused on it, is what Dan Mullen said today. Very complimentary of number one, Wandell Robinson. That's like I blew up today because Mullen didn't know his name, only knew his number. And Kentucky fans want to feel disrespected about that. But uh, we'll let that go. Uh, Robinson has been able to stretch the field in that play-action uh, game there for the for the Wildcats and those play-action looks. Uh, go to the other side. As far as the Wildcats' defense, Mullen says big physical, uh, but it's that their experience is what really stands out. A lot of veteran guys who understand the scheme inside and out, they're very sound in what they do since they know that defense so well. They know what they're doing, and they play fast. So quick little preview there of Kentucky – well, I know you'll have a look at the Kentucky Wildcats later this week at Read and Reaction. I'll have a preview episode as well. But that's what the head man himself had to say about Kentucky.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. So I'm not quite sure what to make of Kentucky. It obviously starts and it starts and finishes with Chris Rodriguez. I think it's sort of the, uh, the long and short of it. If Rodriguez runs for 150 yards, Ford's going to have a rough time. So they're going to have to stop him up front. Um, Will Levis has played pretty well this year when you look at his overall statistics, but he's gotten worse every week. So he had yep. a QB rating of 230 in the opener against Louisiana Monroe, then 146 against Missouri, then 134 against Chattanooga, and then 98 last week against South Carolina. And so I suspect that that play action and all the different things they were able to do early in the year, probably, um, you know, you're starting to see some of the limitations of Levis. Now, you know, at Penn State, he had a QB rating of 119. So he's probably better than that. He's improved a little bit. I think having a big running game with Rodriguez makes a difference. But at the same time, if you look at Emory Jones' stats from last year, his QB rating was 148 from his time before he became the starter. So at least coming into the year, I would have said Emory Jones is going to be the better quarterback out of the two of them. And I think what we saw is Emory Jones in the game against FAU and even against USF was worse than he has been. And he's sort of righted the ship and is now kind of exactly who he was last year or you know the last couple of years. And I think you could say the same thing about levis is that he you know going out against louisiana monroe averaging 14.1 yards per attempt and then 9.9 against missouri probably not what's going to end up happening against florida but he averaged 7.3 against chad and 4.6 against south carolina that's probably worse than he's going to be so you know probably looking about eight yards an attempt um, he's not a huge runner. He's got, you know, 23 rushes for 67 yards. So different than last week when, you know, you had to be concerned about Hendon Hooker leaving the pocket. That's one reason why you wouldn't get to him with your front fours. you have to be disciplined so that he can't get out of there for Levis. That's not really going to be much of a concern. And so you're going to be able to pin your ears back and come after him a little bit. And, uh, you know, we'll see whether he can hold up because certainly he struggled pretty significantly against South Carolina last week.
1: Yep, that's the uh, the story I'll be looking at too. Will's comparing those first two games, those last two games there uh, for Kentucky. Some close games versus uh, some pretty subcar subpar competition there. Uh, and the Missouri wins no longer looking as good as it did, where they're lost to Boston College over the week as well. So uh, <laughs> you know, what I mean, of course, you don't want to make too much out of that. You know, I think Kentucky's still going to be a tough game for these Gators. Uh, playing at Kentucky has uh, been pretty tough uh, for Florida in those last few trips there. So uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, there when Florida travels to Lexington uh, this week. Uh, so, all right, that would do it mostly for the uh, football talk here. We can kind of extend it. Uh, it relates to football in, in a way, but too much of a big story out there uh, throughout Gator Nation that we can't bring up since it does pretty much involve athletic director Scott Strickland as well. But this um, story coming out today, Will, with former Gators women's basketball coach Kim Newbauer, according to the independent Florida Gator Zachary Huber, I hope I'm saying that right, Zachary, so I apologize if I'm not, but uh, has been accused, um, Neubauer had been accused of making racist remarks, throwing basketballs at players during practices, and verbally abusing the team, assistant coaches, and trainers. Quote from Dana Jobert, I hope I'm saying that right as well, but quote, she says, he broke my child and she didn't want me to say anything because she thought it could get worse, said Dana, about her daughter, Michaela Hayes. Um, who was mistreated uh, there at Florida under Neubauer. Uh, the Alligators report also stated that a former UF women's basketball player attempted suicide. So despite these accusations, Will, the Alligator reports, uh, you know, date back to late 2017. Neubauer was offered a three-year contract extension by the university this past February and signed it on March 30th, 2021 according to the documents recorded, uh, attained by All Gators, Sports Illustrated there. Uh, the extension was announced publicly on June 1st. There were no new financial terms added to Neubauer's contract at the time. And then with that, everything comes out uh, today with that story. Scott Strickland eventually uh, releases a statement. His full response is right here. Uh and it can be it was can be found out there now. Quote from Scott Strickland: It is our responsibility to provide a championship experience with integrity along with the necessary support for Gator student athletes and staff. The culture of the women's program under head coach Cam Newbauer described in the Independent Florida Alligator article is in no way consistent with the values of the University of Florida. At times during Newbauer's tenure, there were concerns brought to our attention. Each time, additional information was sought, and these concerns were addressed directly with Kim as we required corrective actions and outlined clear expectations of behavior moving forward. Additionally, the UAA provided enhanced administrative oversight and presence within the program and sought anonymous feedback directly from student athletes and staff. Ultimately, we did not see the required improvements, and following discussions with Coach Neubauer, he made the decision to resign. So we have a lot to dissect there. But, of course, you get the athletic director involved. Uh, and I know – you know, I, I thought long and hard about even bringing this on Gators Breakdown. It was, you know, motto of all football all the time. That's what we talk about here here on Gators Breakdown. But when you bring the athletic director, Scott Strickland, into the equation as well, of course, uh, it, uh, <laughs> it affects the football program. So if you're here just for football talk um, – that's that. That's the angle you can take with this. Uh, but will right now, not not a very good look uh, for the sports program at Florida with everything coming out today in these accusations.
0: No, I mean you know you think about sort of Matt Hayes and what he wrote earlier this year about Dan Mullen and the criticisms that various people had about him and sort of the Darth Vader and going out and starting the the not a brawl, but inciting things during the Missouri game and, and some of the comments he made after the Oklahoma game, And you know, there are proud people associated with this program who don't like being embarrassed. And so that, that was one thing obviously and and this is another uh, but beyond that it's it's the fact that people at a university that we care about and that we support um felt like they were being abused and from the st- and and potentially were i mean again these are allegations i don't have any evidence sure. to to bear here i haven't seen an investigation though strickland's statement seems to indicate that at least the nuts and bolts of the story um are are true and so from that standpoint Um, There are questions to be asked, right? I mean, the question and questions to be answered, questions to be answered about the extension question to be answered about the steps that the university took when things were reported. And then, you know, there were there were parts in the story by Huber about, uh, you know, boosters watching the practice and kids being berated while boosters were there. And, And I think there's some real questions to be asked about, you know, when when you've got adults in the room. Whose responsibility is it to step up and be advocates for the student athletes if the if the coach is out of line? I mean, you know, I would hope that if my daughter is doing something and somebody is taking advantage or being a bully or being abusive and, and other adults are there to see it, that the adults are going to step in and, number one, let me know about it. But, number two, let the coach know that that's unacceptable behavior. Um, You know, so it's one of those things where I get that the buck stops with Scott Strickland. I'm not defending Strickland because I don't have any information to be able to defend or, or really crucify Strickland. I think we're going to see as more and more information comes out what the, what, you know, what. His culpability is in this, if at all, or if he followed the correct chain of events. But I think if there's one thing we've learned sort of from the LSU scandals recently, from the Penn State scandal, I mean, I live up here in Philadelphia, so certainly I've heard, I know a lot of people from Penn State, the Baylor stuff that went on, the Larry Nassar stuff that went on. oftentimes when this stuff happens, there's there's a um, there's a, I guess, instinct to say, well, the authorities are aware they're going to handle it. And I think one of the things that we need to learn from all these things is that we all have a culpability when we see that sort of stuff to, to make sure that it doesn't happen because the people in positions of authority for whatever reason, either have their hands tied or aren't always necessarily willing to, to stand up and and make sure that the right thing gets done. I think in many cases that's because of aversions to lawsuits and those sorts of things, but at the same time, regardless of what's, what's happening, obviously there were women who were being mistreated if the allegations are true and that's unacceptable. And so anybody who saw it, I think needs to take a good look in the mirror and, and wonder what they could have done to make things better, whether that's, teammates whether that's former teammates whether that's people who knew new you know Newbauer bauer from his previous stop whether that's administrators whether that's boosters or whether that's you know eventually scott strickland everybody i think needs to take a look in the mirror and figure out what could they have done to do things differently because if you've got people trying to commit suicide because of the actions of a coach i think we need to take a good hard look at that and and it's not just one person's fault though again i think from a from a procedural perspective, it may end up being one person. And we'll see what happens as Strickland provides more information. I'm sure there'll be an investigation, but uh but you know, before that's complete, I think there are people who saw the behavior and could have helped make it stop. And and I hope those people will take a look. And the next time something like that happens, we'll, we'll step up and say something.
1: Yeah, I forget the name. Um one of the, the one of the players' moms that was mentioned in the article, she posted a thread on Twitter that was pretty pretty more damning. Uh, or, or more damning there in um, the uh, allegations that were coming out, uh, there. But look, I, I, I'll say here what I said on Twitter earlier today you know, one time was enough, <laughs> more than one. I mean, it, if all this is true, uh, these accusations are true, more. I mean, one time is enough for, for Newbauer in my eyes. Um, you know, but from Strickland's comments, quote, at times and quote, each time, uh, you know, it showed continued uh, abuse and fear. Uh, And uh, as you said, uh, unacceptable, inexcusable inexcusable behavior from leadership and whatever that leadership is. I'm not accusing Scott Strickland here. Uh, there, but he was the one who put out that statement that said these things. Uh, and that's where I want to say, you know, the more and deeper answers are needed based off of that statement from Scott Strickland, just more and deeper answers are needed. And we may not get that. You know, our good friend Neil Blackman pointed out on Twitter uh, and something like this crossed my mind as well. When that, when that uh, statement come out from Scott Strickland, and you know, Neil's a lawyer, he's got that lawyer background. So he probably can speak really, really well on this more so than, than I can. And he goes one and then puts in parentheses, largest Reason Florida Athletic Department hasn't said more at this point is because about legal liability. A press release would seem sensible, but if there's any risk they knew more before Newbauer was dismissed, that will come out in discovery. Counsel may say, "Be quiet." So, you know, looking at that aspect, it kind of extends to what you were kind of talking about too, Will, uh, or early on, uh, Will. I would assume uh like you said an investigation will take part and uh we'll we'll get the answers from this but right now on the surface does not look good uh and I'll go back to the unacceptable and inexcusable behavior from leadership whoever that leadership come came from.
0: Yeah, I mean look, it's it's sad. You hope that the, you know selfishly I hope that the allegations are untrue. But if the allegations are true, then I hope that things are put in place to make sure that something like this can't happen again, not just in the women's basketball program, but in any program at Florida, because that sort of stuff is unacceptable. Now there is a fine line between coaching somebody hard and, you know, crossing that line into abusive behavior. It sounds like that line was, was way, way, way in the background for, for these allegations. Um, But I suspect that Neubauer's excuse, again, assuming that all of these things turn out to be true, his excuse will be that he was just coaching them hard and that, you know, that's that's the way he coaches and they knew that when he recruited them and those sorts of things. But, um, you know, to your point, I think, you know, I have to go through liability training every year with my company where they talk about having, you know, pervasive – uh, pervasive har- environments of pervasive harassment where all of a sudden you become legally liable for that sort of stuff. But even just one example of harassment can rise to the level of pervasive if it's significant enough. And so in this case, the allegations in the uh, in the article at least Um, probably rise to that level, right, where all of a sudden the university is going to have some legal liability if these turn out to be true. And when they knew it, I think, is actually probably less important than the fact that, um, you know, that they were occurring. Because when it occurs under your watch and you're allowing a pervasive um, environment of harassment to exist, there's some real legal issues that come up there. So to your point, I would not expect statements in the next two days trying to figure out, you know, having this go on, but, you know, we've seen this in the past with, with Penn State, Michigan State, um, Baylor, those entities have investigations. Those investigations hopefully are more public than some of the other ones that we've seen in the past with, with Florida's investigation here. And, and then, you know, really again, can the safeguards be put in place to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And can the people in positions of power be empowered to speak up when there is someone who's doing something that's abusive? Because here's the reality is that if it's happening in the, in the women's, basketball program, that's a relatively, um, that, that's not a revenue sport. And so were it to happen in a revenue sport, All of a sudden, your incentive structure becomes even more skewed. And so I think having safeguards in place for those sorts of things becomes even more important because in areas where money starts to really come into play in terms of what the decision making might be, I think you got to separate those. So, um, again, a sad day. Hopefully these allegations aren't true, but if they are, I hope the university puts the safeguards in place to make sure it doesn't happen again.
1: Yep. So there's a storyline there. I know we don't get out of the world of football all too often there, but uh, it, it is connected to the athletic department. And as Will said, this is a this is a whole program, whole university deal right now uh, for University of Florida. And hopefully uh, everything comes out uh, on on the right side for everybody involved uh, on, on both sides there. So, uh, Will, man, here we go. Good episode there. A lot of I mean, I think we hit we we had a lot of stuff there <laughs> this episode, starting with. Uh, coaches and, and and the players and injuries, and everything heading into this Kentucky game uh, this week, uh, kind of spoke on what we're looking forward to, but what you got coming up on reading reaction this week. Yeah.
0: So i have a Kentucky preview up. I've got my week four Kirby awards coming up as well. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll probably put some of my thoughts on the new Bauer thing uh, down, at least in one of those articles as well. So we're, we're having a second, second time winner of the Kirby awards. It turns out that uh, this is a, uh, the, the, the repeat offenders here are, uh, are are significant it's just they can't get out of their own way so we're uh nick and i are actually talking about potentially having a uh a ceremony at the end of the year maybe even get a trophy made send it to send it to the athletic department the guy who's got the most kirbys so uh you know we'll see it's 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 been fun it's, it's been great people have actually been reaching out and saying oh man you got to give a kirby to this guy people were doing it yesterday during the nfl there were a couple of boneheaded uh coaching decisions out there when when uh when who was it that Jacksonville played yesterday? Tried to kick the uh what it was, sixty-eight Arizona. yard field goal? Arizona. Yeah. When they tried to kick the sixty eight yard field goal, I'm like, hey, Cliff Kingsbury earned a few Kirby's or would have earned a few Kirby's when he was at Texas Tech. So that's been a fun little thing to to get some interaction with the fans. So if you got suggestions, please keep those coming.
1: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, this Kirby's pretty popular there. So uh I think uh everybody gets kicked out of it too. I mean 0 oh, four FSU right now. I mean, you could probably just send one there every week right now and, and get away with it. You could probably go ahead and pencil one in for next week too. I mean, might as well till, till, till they get over the hump and get a victory.
0: I don't know, man. I, I'm pre- he's he's going to win number three if they lose to UMass. That's absolutely true. Yeah. But, uh, but a couple, I got. It's not even that much fun to make fun of him anymore. I mean, geez, oh, and four. It's just you. You, you talk to a Florida State fan, and they just sort of put their tail between their legs and walk off in the other direction. You know, it used to be. Oh, even, the
1: even Here is the statement. Right now, he is worse than Willie
0: Taggart. Wow, it's funny. Well, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article about how they should hire me to be the coach yep. because all they had to do was pay me like I think I said like two hundred fifty grand for the cupcake wins. And, and that I wanted to drive the program into the ground so I couldn't be worse than who they had there at the time. It's just as relevant today, except <laughs> it's not really satire anymore.
1: <laughs> it turned out anyway, programs being running the ground anyway. So think this, like you said, saved a whole lot of money by hiring you, Will.
0: Oh, my goodness. I, I, in some ways, it's sad. I mean, you look at it and you think about the way Florida football, with Florida State, Miami, and, and, and the University of Florida, especially sort of alternated you know, eras. Right where Florida yeah. State was dominant for a little while, then Florida came on, then out, then Miami, then then Florida comes back, and you've sort of, ha- and then Florida State comes back with Jameis Winston. You've always sort of had that rotating, um, you know, the, the rotating rise and fall. And then obviously when Spurrier was there, you had Bobby Bowden, and and you know that was probably the national championship game really for probably four or five straight years, yeah. except that they kept knocking each other out when they probably would have gone and beaten teams from other conferences if they'd gotten an opportunity to play in the bowl game without having to play that non conference game and you know it's funny i thought about this i thought about that this weekend as we were watching tennessee like it's fun to beat the falls but it's it's not the same experience right i mean that alabama game if we'd have won that one i mean with the size of the tailgate going in and the size of the party afterwards i mean that would have been a blast right and i i yeah. you, you, i know you didn't have the same juice for the tailgate it was looked like a good yeah. one but it wasn't the same juice for the oh, tailgate no, for tennessee yeah. this weekend so and,
1: and um, two things about that i said that to tony after the game you know i was sitting with tony Aguilini, and i said I think people are leaving the stadium compared to last week to this week, maybe more happy about a close loss to Alabama than they were just victory over Tennessee and not, not happy just because, you know, you're happier with a victory. Of course. I'm just saying the way you felt and and the way you were just thinking about the game. And Tony was like, yeah, you know, beating Tennessee now feels like how it used to feel when we used to beat Kentucky in the nineties. That's, that's what it feels like right now.
0: Well, I mean, We've still only lost to Kentucky like one once in the last three <laughs> decades. So uh, you know, I'm if I am if I if we walk out of this one with a twenty-four point win, I'll probably be happier about it than I was with the twenty-four point win last week. But yeah, uh, um, at the same time, this is game Florida should win, right? And so yep. um that, that's the expectation and, and I'm looking forward to seeing if they can get it done.
1: All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on his site, read and reaction.com, on YouTube at Read and Reaction, and on Twitter at Will Miles S E C. I am the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.